0: Alright, tonight we're going to continue our study in the book of John, the Gospel according to John. And uh, I did want to do something a little different tonight because uh, our church is really uh, based upon Bible doctrine and the importance of doctrine. And I think uh, if most Christians were like me, I went through a period of time when I was a Christian and even went to the Big Baptist Church, uh, but uh, I didn't have anything, any idea about what doctrine was or the importance of it. So I got to feel like if I'm that way, and uh, maybe there's other people out there, so there's a song entitled Fat Baby. Amy Grant sings, and she didn't write it. Two other guys wrote it. But it was so appropriate for our church. I thought I would introduce it. Because you know you're supposed to introduce something before you start talking. You know, that's speech 101. But uh, I thought I would read it. It's uh, just the words. Obviously not going to sing it. But it says, I know a man, maybe you know him too. You never can tell. He might even be you. He knelt at the altar, and that was the end. He's saved, and that's all that matters to him. His spiritual tummy, it can't take too much. One day a week, he gets his spiritual lunch. On Sunday, he puts on his spiritual best and gives his language a spiritual rest. He's just a fat little baby, He wants his bottle, and he don't mean maybe. He's sampled solid food once or twice, but he says doctrine leaves him cold as ice. He's been baptized, sanctified, redeemed by the blood, but his daily devotions are stuck in the mud. He knows the books of the Bible and John 3.16. He's got the biggest King James you've ever seen. I've always wondered if he'll grow up someday. He's mama's boy and he likes it that way. If you happen to see him, tell him I said, he'll never grow if he never gets fed. I thought that was so appropriate, certainly for myself for a while. And it's probably true of a lot of people, but when you want it, you're going to get it. And when you don't, you won't. Alright, let's use First 1 John 1, nine as may or may not be necessary. Father, we're grateful. Grateful that we can come together and worship. Grateful that we can cycle Bible doctrine and thus become more like our Lord and Savior. Now guide us and direct us as we do recognize that all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, in order that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. For ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, last week I taught in part John 14, 7-12 where we took a note of how Jesus' disciples later to become apostles had fulfilled John fourteen twelve. When the clock struck 7.45 we were about to review several Old Testament miracles. Uh, and we're going to review and then pick up new material on page 2. But first I want to quote again from Lewis Perry Chaffer referring to the Kingdom Age and how important it was for us to understand dispensations. And we do have on the podcast now, well, actually we have it on the Internet, and I'm about to put on the podcast The Doctrine of Dispensations. It is, of course, one of Pastor Mary's study books, so you can... Again, go to westbankbiblechurch.com and go to streaming audio of services and you can then ask for Pastor Mary's study books and you will find the doctrine of dispensations. So here's what Lewis Ferry Chafer, the founder of Dallas Theological Seminary, former special assistant to C.I. Schofield, had to say. When reading a gospel, particularly a synoptic gospel, The church-age believer must keep in mind to whom these books have primary application. Israel. According to the Scriptures, all time is divided into dispensations. Due recognition of the essential character of each of these dispensations is the key to understanding of the Bible. The fact of confusing the characteristics in each is common and is doubtless the greatest era into which many devout Bible interpreters fall. Alright, I believe a review of the NIV of John 14, 7-12 is in order with particular emphasis on verse 12. Alright, here we go. If you really knew Me, you would know My Father as well from now on. You do know Him and have seen Him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know Me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen Me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in Me? The words I say to you are not just My own. Rather, it is the Father living in Me who is doing His work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And of course, we have a doctrine of the indwelling of the Father on the internet under Pastor Marriage study books. So let's return now. We'll get a. We'll begin new material at the bottom of page two under the heading Old Testament Miracles. But first, a review under the purpose of miracles. Some tend to view miracles as isolated events in the lives of the prophets, or of course Jesus Christ. Miracles always have a purpose. Every event in the life of a believer has definite purpose, and though we may not view it as such, it is a miracle. Miracles will not help to skelter events. Miracles serve to authenticate the message and the messenger of God at critical junctures in the development of the Hebrew-slash-Christian tradition. The Bible was written by more than 40 men in four different languages over a 1,600-year period. The writers lived more than 1,400 miles apart and in most cases were not acquainted with one another. Then tyrants for centuries have tried to destroy and or discredit it, and yet it remains the Word of God. That we have the Word of God today is in itself a miracle. And uh, we just put on the podcast The Doctrine of the Authenticity of the Bible, which uh, is is certainly one of our critical doctrines because it establishes uh, the authenticity of what we use as the basis for our faith. The Word of God. So by all rights, the Bible should have been destroyed, and yet it is the most accurate book available from antiquity. You've all seen pictures of how the Germans and the Russians had tried to burn it. And uh, then we have people who, like today, we've got so many of them on the Internet who make terrible claims uh, about the Bible and the fact that it isn't this or it isn't that and so-and-so didn't write it. Uh, it's amazing. All right. Perhaps the greatest miracle of all, though, was the miracle of creation itself. Most objective scientists today no longer believe the Earth came into being with the Big Bang. They believe it came into being with the Big Bang and not an evolution. So, what is known as the Big Bang theory has changed a lot of minds. Last week, I gave you several quotes from Francis Collins' best-selling book, New York Shock—I mean New Yorker. Uh, uh, list it's right up there the language of god a bestseller dr. collins is arguably america's arguably america's premier scientist and a witnessing christian as you may recall he made clear the universe did not evolve but it all became as now famous as the now famous big bang theory describes As he says, the Big Bang sounds a lot like Moses' account found in the first chapter of the book of Genesis. And uh, again, it is an excellent read. I was just so pleased to get the opportunity to read it. He's a medical doctor. He's a Ph.D. in astrophysics. And he's a Ph.D. in biology. And he heads the... uh, uh, Speak up, Tommy. Help me out, girl. I, I was just thinking of his genome work. Is there what you're talking about? He's in charge of the genome. He's a, project. Uh, They're two great scientific organizations, and he was appointed by uh, Obama. Uh, I can't help you, I'm sorry. Well, doggone. We were just talking about this. <laughs> Before you all got there (laughs) about how uh, when you get to be 84, your memory kind of leaves you every once in a while. But it'll come to me as I've talked about something else. But anyway, he's renowned. He's a man who came up with the human genome. And as a result of that, he got appointed to the heading up the blank, blank, blank. All right, here we go. Old Testament miracle now. Now this is new material, so I'll be a new man. All right, Moses was a stranger to his people and needed a means to demonstrate that he had been sent by God to lead them from bondage. Moreover, he needed a way to persuade Pharaoh to release the enslaved Israelites. All right, and of course, once God led the Israelites out of Egypt, he had to exercise miraculous powers to bring millions of them through the wilderness into Canaan. Elijah and Elisha ministered to Israel in the day when calf worshiped and Baal worship threatened to exterminate faith in the true God, and their miracles would seem to be purposed to exceed that of Satan's idols. Miraculous Acts showed that the message of the prophets was true and worthy of belief, and that their God was the only true God. This fact is made especially clear in Elijah's confrontation with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And I provided you a map there of uh, Mount Carmel. You can see it in the north there. Uh, and, uh, of course, I have a map on the Internet so that folks who are worshiping with us on the Internet will be able to see Mount Carmel. We called it Carmel in Waco. And uh, that was originally where David Koresh uh, had his operation, and he wasn't the man then, but it was up by Lake Waco, then they moved on out into the country in the north. Uh, but, uh, they were called the Car- Carmelites, Carmelites. And, uh, they, they, of course, unfortunately encountered Bill Clinton and his gang. Alright, let's go now. First Kings 18, 21, 22, and 38. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him, and if the people and the people answered not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I even I only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal prophets are four hundred and fifty men. Now dropping down to verse thirty-eight and the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. You remember that story. He wanted to take on Baal and the prophets of Baal and so he said, you know, let's make us a sacrifice out there and we'll see if the Lord eats it. Sends the fire down to heaven and he burned it and and he said, now, nah, you." he tried first of all to get Baal to do it and Nothing happened, so he made fun of them, You know, he said, "Well, maybe he's asleep." Let's everybody get around here and shout at him, wake him up. And uh, they saw nothing happen. Well, then he said, "Well, let's see what God can do." He said, "But let's make it hard on God. Let's go get the water and let's put water all around it. You know, and let's see if God can eat it with His fire." And of course, God did. Alright, now verse 39, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is the God. (laughs) The Lord, He is the God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slew them there. Four hundred prophets. And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. Now there had been a, a drought in the land. It was just no rain, no water, no nothing. But all of a sudden, Elijah said to Abraham, you need to get down and to go, go on, that's one of the reasons I had the map there. Go to the coastline. There, the, you know, you'll see how Carmel is located right there in the Mediterranean Sea. And look out on the Mediterranean Sea. Don't you see a large cloud out there coming? And, uh, he at first was full of disbelief and said, no, he says, well, let me tell you something. You better get in your buggy right now and go home because you're going to get stuck because it's going to rain like you wouldn't believe. And of course, he he did. And it did rain. So uh, he was there to show his miracles were much better than Baal's and impress Ahab. But then he lost faith, you'll remember, and he took off running and uh, he grabbed a quick snack. Which lasts for a long time, and he went all the way down to Beersheba, which is a long way, and hid in a cave, and felt sorry for himself, and, and God had to encourage him, you know, God spoke to him in a still small voice, and he had told God, you know, I'm the only one who hasn't bowed his knee to ball. God said, no, no, there's seven thousand that haven't. So that was the pivot. It wasn't a very big pivot. 2 million Jews. But that was the pivot that permitted Israel to be blessed for another 150 years. Alright, so and Elijah said to them, Take the prophets of Baal and kill them. And they did. And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. And so Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees and said to his servants, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. (laughs) And they did. And uh, it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, Go up and say unto Ahab, Prepare thy chariot and get thee down and that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Daniel and his associates were thrust into positions of leadership in the day when the temple uh, and Hebrew political power had been destroyed, and when a large percentage of the leading members of the Hebrew community were exiled, that's when, of course, that all that took place. That's 1 Kings 18:4 through 3, uh, and I mean 4:3. And then we also have 1 Kings, that entire story. You can read about the, those wonderful events that took place. But then we had, as another example, of Daniel. Daniel, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and many others. Uh, they were carried off, and they submitted to authority and uh, became leaders in Babylon first, and then later in Syria. I mean, uh, in uh, those who cap- captured, I mean, uh, conquered uh, the the Syrians. All right, uh, and those also who conquered. The, the Babylonians. Those would be the Persians. Medes, and the Persians. Alright, here we go. Numerous questions must have rushed through the minds of the exiles. We're talking about Daniel now. And uh, here some of them are. Did God any longer exist? Was He through with them? Were the Assyrians and Babylonians right when they taunted that their gods had greater prowess than the god of the hebrews was the hebrew god a local god able to protect his worshipers but only in palestine did god have power now that his temple was gone and he had no house in which to dwell well the miracles that were performed in Babylon gave ringing answers to all of these questions The God of heaven was the one true God, universal in His power and loving in His tender watch care over His own. He honored the testimony of His faithful servants. Notice Daniel 6.16 Then the king commanded and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spoke and said unto Daniel, Thy God whom thou servest continually, He will deliver thee. Now the king had a lot of respect for Daniel and he liked Daniel and he thought, well, Daniel's going to be okay. So he put him into the lion's den. And during the night, the lions didn't do anything to him. Uh, I'm sure that he rubbed their head and they purred and uh, they had a nice time down there. But when he came to the den, the king came to the den in the morning. He cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spoke and said to Daniel, "O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions?" And of course, that happened. All right, he showed the image that the image of Nebuchadnezzar was nothing compared to his power, God's power. All right, now that was again another miracle. I'm going to start with Daniel three one. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set, up, set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gathered gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs. And all the rulers of the province came to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And everybody was supposed to bow when a certain song was played. I guess it was, you know, like the national anthem where you're supposed to stand and put your hand over your heart. But these guys were not about to do that because they were going to do what God would have them to do and that's not worship that great big giant image. And so there were certain Jews, that is to say, the, those who had been exiled, they weren't going to, they weren't going to worship. And they had leaders, of course. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, went, they were taken exile in the in the uh, 606 B.C. Exile. So there they were. And they were supposed to bow before that great, giant idol. And some of the guys didn't like that who were, of course, worshippers of the, the idol. And they went to the king. They said, O king, have not regard thee they serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So he answered and said, Lo, I see... Uh, I don't know I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, in between all these Scriptures, they took them and they put them in a, in a uh, furnace. The furnace was so hot that when you opened it, uh, it killed some of the guys who opened it. It reminds me of when I worked working at Safeway one time. And they had this great big place where you opened up a huge furnace and we burned the boxes. And uh, uh, when you didn't have anything to do, you went back there and you put the boxes in the furnace. Well, that store, unfortunately, had had a fire about two years before. And I was just a high school kid, so when I opened it, it reminds me of this story. Because when I opened that furnace door, the flames—somebody had filled it full of boxes. The flames came out and caught all the boxes, you know, on fire that were behind me. (laughs) And so, rather than go tell anybody anything, I ran and got a bucket. And threw it on the fire. And of course, you know, when you put water on fire, it smokes like you wouldn't believe. And the smoke went up and it went on out into the uh, store, you know. And uh, oh. and uh, <laughs> Jake Burkle was the manager. And He, I came about that close to getting fired from a job. But uh, I put the fire out. That's the main thing. But it sure did smoke the store up. And everybody was just... Really excited. Well, that's exactly what happened with Daniel. <laughs> he uh, was put in the, the fire that was so hot that when they opened it up, it killed a couple of the, the Babylonians. And so you know they were goners. It was, a, it was a done deal, you know. They couldn't possibly come out of there alive. But notice Daniel 3.25. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and in the form of the fourth they're like the Son of God. So when they did open it for the king to take a look at it, instead of the fire coming out and burning the boxes, he got to see what was going on inside. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were walking around, and who were they with? The Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, he couldn't believe his eyes. So then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High, come forth and come hither. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth in the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the kings, counselors, being gathered together, saw these men, upon whose bodies the fire had no power. Nor was an hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. So there is another miracle, all that demonstrate, you know, that God's men are taken care of. Alright, uh, then we have the story of being uh, old Belshazzar, who was the son of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, at this particular point in time, was all fighting a war in the West, and uh, which he was prone to do from time to time, and he left Belshazzar in charge. And at the precise moment, he dared to desecrate the holy vessels of the temple and make fun of the Hebrew deity. So they're having a big party, and it was a wild affair, and uh, they, he finally said, go get all those beautiful gold and cups and bring them in here, and we'll just have some, we'll drink, you know, out of them, make fun of the Hebrews." Alright, Daniel 5.1, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem that the king and his princes, uh, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick uh, upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. So you have, uh, first of all, you see the uh, some form of a man's hand, and then the fingers begin to move. You know that had to be a really eerie sight, you know, on the wall, you know. And he began to the fingers begin to write, uh, and of course they wrote something which has to be interpreted. So, and thou, his son, old Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart though thou knewest all this, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they had brought the vessel of his house before thee. And thou and thy lords, thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine. then Thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold and brass and iron and wood and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Then was the Part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written, and this is a writing that was written many, many tekel. Now they didn't know what that meant, so they had to, of course, go and, and ask, uh, uh the El mother, as I recall, and, uh, she said, well, there is someone who can do that kind of thing. He'll be able to tell you, Daniel will be able to tell you, uh, what this means. So, the, he went. They went and got him, and he interpreted. And he, this is the interpretation of the thing. Many meaning numbered thy kingdom and finished it. And on that night, he the Babylonians lost their kingdom because the records indicate that that's when the the Medes, under the rulership of the Persians, arrived and they entered the uh, the uh, city. And the way they entered it was they had diverted the water. and Nobody knew they were diverted the water. Of course, it's hard to believe that, isn't it? But they apparently diverted the water and the water went down. They were able to come in underneath the gates. They had the gates that came down, you know. And then they had the moat. Well, they drained the moat uh, and, and diverted it somehow. And uh, they then snuck in there and went about the city and took it. So then the Babylon Empire was gone. And the Persians took over, and of course Cyrus would ultimately be the king of the Persians, and he would be the one who would command them to go back to the land. Uh, the uh, last time, where they, they, remember there were two times they were, they went back. But a miracle, you know, and the purpose of the miracle was, was to fulfill, was fulfilled. Because it wasn't it wasn't uh, Babylon who was to continue. Why? Because Isaiah had said Cyrus was going to take charge and would direct them to go back to the land to rebuild the city, not Artaxerxes the Babylonian. So uh, uh, it was in, it was needed, and uh, so we had really two miracles: one that Cyrus would predict that, and in, in uh, Isaiah would record it, and. Uh, then it would happen in a very mysterious way. So a people torn from their homeland and their customary worship patterns needed such a demonstration of power to carry them through the days of captivity. Alright, the fact that the Hebrews were not assimilated into the Mesopotamian population, but maintained their distinct nationality, that's a miracle of unto itself. It is even more remarkable that so many of those people who came to Mesopotamia as prisoners of war and slaves rose to prominence in Babylonian and Persian society. All right, now then, let's go to Daniel two forty-eight and forty-nine. Then the king made made Daniel a great man. This is how much he appreciated him and how he gave him the charge of most, well, all of the kingdom at one time, but still of course, working for uh, first Nebuchadnezzar, then Belshazzar in the absence of his dad. and then later on as uh, serving remarkably serving the Syrians. I mean the uh, Persians. So it is even more remarkable. That so many of those people who came to Mesopotamia as prisoners of war and slaves rose to prominence in Babylonian and Persian society. All right, uh, now let's talk about the miracles of Jesus. But let me let me read you Daniel two forty-eight and 49 first. Alright, then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. Then Daniel requested of the king and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Alright, now we're going to look at the miracles of of, uh, Jesus. But before we do, it's the National Health Institute. The National Health Institute. He's in charge of that, and that's Francis Collins uh, again, who is—I said he was a doctor of medicine. Well, he tells one of his little stories in the uh, about being a doctor. He and his daughter were going to go to Africa, and they were going to help people out. And he felt really good about that, you know. So he went there, and one of the first things that happened, he had a terrible situation on his hand that the guy was dying and uh, he finally diagnosed it with the fact that I got to get in there with a syringe and take the, I guess, from the heart cavity, get that blood and, and stuff out of there. And he said, I, I know from tests, it's he had tuberculosis for a long time and he said, that's the only way we're going to save him. So he said, I got it the longest syringe you ever saw and I put it in there and Pulled all that stuff out, thinking, "Well, I'm going to kill him, probably." But anyway, he pulled it all out. It, the guy got well. He said, "I was feeling so good about myself. I was walking around thinking, man, I saved that guy's life.'" And he said, "Then the thought hit me like a ton of bricks. Now he's going to go out and drink the water and die." It <laughs> you know? he said, "He's so pitiful over there. You know, just in Africa. And uh, pardon me for saying pitiful in Africa, but uh, he, he was just totally." Uh, using it as a story to talk about humility and miracles and so forth. But anyway, National Health Institute. Alright, now then let's go to the miracles of Jesus. Alright, they had several purposes to demonstrate His deity, God's deity, and thus prove that He was sent from God. And of course, in this case, uh, that's Daniel uh, and his worship of God and what God would do for him. You remember how... Finally, Nebuchadnezzar worshipped and made sure everybody in his kingdom worshipped because of the fact that he was so impressed with Daniel. And uh, So to demonstrate his deity, to support his messiahship, to lead his followers to saving faith, to help prepare his disciples for the ministry they were to perform. And lastly, the miracles of the incarnation, the resurrection, and the ascension are part and parcel of of the divine provision of salvation for mankind. So Daniel's reason for being the recipient of so many wonderful miracles was to impress the king. But the miracles of Jesus, they had a different purpose. And we've listed five there. They were primarily to let people know He is the Son of God. He is the Jewish Messiah. So again, to demonstrate His deity and thus prove that He was sent from God to support His Messiahship... to lead His followers to saving faith, to help prepare His disciples for the ministry they were to perform. And lastly, the miracles of the Incarnation, the Resurrection, and the Ascension are part and parcel of the divine provision of salvation for mankind. All right, after Christ ascended to heaven, His disciples began to preach in His name, to interpret the events of His life and His death, and to write authoritative messages to their converts. Miracles were used to document the authenticity of their discipleship and message. So the question of authenticity in the case of Jesus often arose. Were they truly God's messenger? His disciples His, which became His apostles. Same reason they had to authenticate themselves as Jesus had to authenticate His self. All right, so were there pronouncements to be treated as inspired? Miraculous acts helped answer these questions in the affirmative. All right, now let's talk about the plausibility of miracles. Men living in the age of science frequently have difficulty accepting the miraculous. Basic to any solution of the problem is an adequate view of God. Once we admit the existence of God, we cannot deny supernatural activity in the space-time universe. God is omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, sovereign, righteous, just, etern- eternal life, love immutable in truth. Why should anyone doubt his ability to create miracles? But they do. A Jesus who is merely a martyr for the truth, a prince of philanthropy, a paragon of ethical teachers, could present to mankind only a threadbare idealism. So the only answer to the choppy seas of life is a Savior who can say, Peace, be still. Notice Mark 4.38-41, that He do. And He was in the hinder part of the ships, asleep on a pillow. And they awake Him and say unto Him, Master, carest Thou not that we perish? And He arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said to one another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Alright, the only hope for victory over satanic power is through the One whom the demons recognized and obeyed. Luke 8, verse 30 and 31. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. And they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep, that is, the demons. And you'll remember the story of Legion. It's rather slim in terms of volume of Scripture about it, but uh, you remember he and his partner lived up on a hill uh, and, uh, in a graveyard. And people would from time to time hear them screaming at night. They were trying to sleep and those guys would be screaming. And then sometimes they'd even come down the hill into the city and uh, tear things up. And uh, they would catch them. The devil would let them be caught. And the devil would let them tie them up and then they would break the little tongs that held them. And uh, it was just quite a mess, you know. And Jesus encountered one of them whose name was Legion because he had so many demons, probably 5,000 to 6,000. Legions normally 4,800. But then you have certainly... Groups associated with it that, that caused it to rise in number. But uh, he cast them out. And they, of course, didn't want him to throw them in the deep. And, the, and they cast them instead into a bunch of hogs that were running around and jumped off into the ocean. But then Legion was so happy. He was so happy because he had been tormented so by these demons that he was just so pleased with the Lord and he wanted to go with the Lord and the disciples as they made their way down the hill to their boat on the Sea of Galilee. And so he was right there with them. He was going with them. And Jesus turned to him and said, Hold in. You don't go. You don't got no ticket. He said, but instead, you uh, are going to be my witness in this area. End story. Never hear another thing about Legion. But don't you know he was a witness I mean, we used to think about guys with to the get their letter jacket. I know a couple of Baylor football players went to Baraka and they went and stood up in front of the church and had their big B on there, you know, and told them, you know, well, Legion had his own jacket on, you know. And he was impressive. And uh, uh, it was uh odd that we heard nothing more about him. All right, let's go on. So the only hope in this life and the next lies in the One who is the Lord of life and death. 1 Corinthians 15, 16-23 For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ is be not raised, your faith is in vain and are yet in your sins. You are in your sins still, in other words. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life... Only we have hope in Christ. We are of all men most miserable. Alright, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at His coming. So, of course, the poor Greeks were... They just couldn't accept the fact that, the, that the, there's a resurrection because they hated the body. so, And they knew the body was such a problem for them. And, of course, the, Paul explained it to them how it's different. Your body's not going to be anything like the one you've got now. Think about the oak. The little acorn that goes in the ground. You know, it's just a little acorn, but when it comes up, it's a big oak tree. So he used that as an example. And hopefully it took for some of them. Alright, the holy hope for the soul rests in the One who died for our sins and rose again and ever lives to make intercession for us. Alright, what about the miracles today? Well, I think probably since it's time to stop, we'll stop right there because I do want to give an invitation. Uh, this has been an unusual lesson uh, in many ways. <laughs> Not the least of which is the fact that uh, we know we have a Savior who can perform miracles and does perform miracles. And our country today needs a miracle. It needs several miracles. So let's uh, be sure we all pray for miracles for the United States of America. And a miracle. America. And... Uh, uh, the only way you can get make access and take advantage of any of those miracles of God is to become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So with your head bowed and your eyes closed and going to ask that you pray that the word of God would have full effect. You don't know what God's got in store out there for somebody to do. You don't know what God has for anybody except first well first to start with faith alone in Christ alone. And that's a responsibility of every man to address himself to that problem when God the Holy Spirit approaches. And so I would pray right now, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you're not listening for any... I mean, you're listening because somehow God wanted you to listen. And I'm going to tell you how you get saved. Pardon the expression. Well, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. As the Scripture says, And thou shalt be saved. As many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on His name. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon Him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So right where you are, whatever you might be doing, you can tell God the Father, I am believing on God the Son, and you will be saved. I'll pause now for just a moment. And then I'll give our our benediction, and uh, you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ during that very short time. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of living in this great country of ours. Now I would ask that God, the Holy Spirit, would take that which I have presented. Make it real in order that we might become more like our Lord and Savior, even Jesus the Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.